In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In an earlier letter to the Thessalonians, he wrote, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I want to begin the sermon today in a way different than what I normally do. I want to mention three things, three incidents. I don't know if that's the right word. may be familiar to you or not. The first is from something called the Babylon Bee. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It is a Christian news satire website. It publishes satirical articles on topics including religion, politics, current events, and public figures. This is something that they published uh, be almost three years ago now, uh, December of 2020. The headline is, 2020 rated worst year ever, provided you never lived at any other time in history. It's from the United States. Across the country, there's a general consensus that 2020 has been the worst year ever. According to studies, 82% of Americans agree that 2020 has been a terrible year of unprecedented suffering and misery. Experts confirm that 2020 was indeed the worst year, provided you had never lived in virtually any other time period in all of human history. Quote, we notice that most of the respondents who called 2020 2020 the worst year also enjoyed delicious food being delivered to them for eight months while they sat on their couches with the air conditioning on and binge-watched shows the whole time. Close quote. While we understand it hasn't been easy, we also found very few instances of Viking raids, black plague, famine, world war, using rotary telephones, needing to look things up in a physical dictionary, slavery, people being burned at the stake, walking miles to school and living in caves, sleeping on the ground, ice ages, Nazi Holocaust, civil war, infant mortality, global floods, ethnic cleansing, using leaves as toilet paper, using leeches as medicine, using wooden mallets as an anesthetic, fighting wild saber-toothed tigers, cannibalism occupation by the Persian Empire. What was I talking about again? Um, Oh yeah, most people in 2020 never experienced any of those things. So comparatively speaking, it's been a pretty decent year. Worst year ever, tweeted one local man who's been making more money than most Zambians make in a lifetime, all from the comfort of his computer. I can't anymore, ah, exclaimed another after Uber got his dinner order wrong. The only exception was one oddball who walked out of his front door and took a deep breath of the morning air. Thank you, God, for this is amazing air, he said. The oddball has been detained for further scientific study to figure out what is wrong with him.
obviously it's satirical. I think the point is made. The second uh, is an event that happened uh, on November the 11th, the previous Saturday, in a championship game, a women's soccer, a National Women's Soccer League championship, a player, a well-known player, was injured six minutes into the match. It was to be the final game of a very storied career. She's 38 years old, this was going to be her final game. In a post-game interview, she said, quote, I'm not a religious person or anything, and if there was a God, like, this is proof there isn't. Her annual salary is $447,000. She has an estimated net worth of more than $5.7 million. She was a key member of the U.S. women's soccer team that won the World Cup in 2015 and 2019 and won an Olympic gold medal in 2012. One of her harshest critics tweeted, Narcissism at its finest. I would suggest that this is a psychological reading of what she had to say. I would suggest that a moral reading is in order. It is ingratitude at its finest. The third thing is from Deuteronomy chapter 1. When Moses is sort of recounting what Israel had done in previous years. He said, then all of you came to me and said, let us send men out ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route that we are to take in the towns we come to, we will come to. The idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it. Taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. It's like, wait. Um, the Lord sent Moses to lead you out of Egypt. He delivered you from slavery. He inflicted t 10 plagues on the Egyptians and on their gods. He rescued you at the Red Sea, destroying Pharaoh and his army. He met with you at Sinai and gave you his law to teach you how you are supposed to live. He provided manna and quails for food. He gave you water in the desert. He guided you by day and by night to take you to the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He traveled with you. His presence is seen in the tabernacle. That is a symbol of his presence with his people. And he did all this because he hates you? He did this to allow your enemies to destroy you? Today is the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and I want us to consider the matter of gratitude. And I began as I did not to criticize or to mock or make fun of the stories or the people involved, but because I think more often than not, we may be like them. C.S. Lewis defined humans as, well, he said a definition of man is the ungrateful biped. We walk on two legs and we are ungrateful. Martin Luther said, nothing ages so quickly as gratitude. We get tired of saying thank you. But ingratitude is not a modern problem or exclusively a modern problem, as we saw with the case of Israel. 
But I would suggest that ingratitude in our day and time is unique in that people fail to recognize what we have as gift. It's not as though modern people, believers and unbelievers, see the gift and they refuse to give thanks or are simply careless about the matter. I don't think really that's the problem. The problem is reality is no longer seen as a gift from God. There are a number of reasons for this. Um, One is that reality is disenchanted, if you wish. It's something to be dissected and analyzed and studied. And so as material for investigation and for study, it's no longer seen as a gift, as something precious from God. In the modern world, and here I'm speaking primarily about believers, are not so sure about the creator. It's sort of a chicken and egg problem. Um, Modern people have a different view of reality. And because of this, they have sort of a suspicion about God. Or do they have the suspicion because they have a different view of reality? What's going on here? Jeremy Begbie, who is a famous uh, writer and theologian on music, is a musician, in a book called Music, Modernity, and God, Essays and Listening, he says, and he returns, by the way, over and over again to the issue of gift, that the physical word, world is not seen as a prior gift, as you know, something that's here before us, something that is there before us. And if, as many Christians imagine, that the cosmos is the product of an arbitrary will rather than the creation of a benevolent God, then why should it be seen as gift? Why should we be grateful? If, though, on the other hand, we do see creation as a gift from a God of prodigal generosity, to use Tim Keller's phrase, a gift for us to interact with, then gratitude would seem to be appropriate. You may be familiar with the story when Jesus healed the ten lepers. I'll just read it to you quickly. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus, had, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God with a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? No, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. In thinking about the practice of giving thanks, of gratitude, as one writer tells us, if we really understand our lives as redeemed by costly grace, then our primary response can only be gratitude. It's at the center of the Christian life. A famous theologian wrote, Grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Gratitude follows grace like thunder follows lightning. If, in fact, the essence of God, the creator, is grace, then the essence of what it means to be a human being, to be a creature, to be a child of God, should be gratitude. 
side note, it is worth noting that both the words grace and gratitude come from the same root word in Latin. If, in fact, grace and gratitude go together, and they're central, then why are they not more prominent in our lives and in our living? Part of it, I think, not that it's a problem, but we tend to think of gratitude as an individual practice. Um, And much has been written about gratitude as individuals, as Christians, that we are to be thankful. Let me read you a passage from a devotional A thankful life is a response to seeing life as a gift from God and realizing that our lives belong to God. God is the giver. We are the thanks givers. To be grateful is to recognize the love of God in everything he gives us, and he has given us everything. Every breath we draw is a gift of his love. Every moment of evidence is a grace, for it brings with it immense graces from him. Gratitude, therefore, takes nothing for granted, is never unresponsive, is constantly awakening to new wonder and to praise of the good of God. For the grateful person knows that God is good, not by hearsay, but by experience. And that is what makes all the difference. It's wonderful and true. I think even unbelievers would admit that being thankful is important to the well-being of a person. Psychologists proclaim that it is important for our mental health and happiness. In our text, we see that we are to give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we tend to overlook gratitude as a communal practice, as something we are to do as a congregation. As I said a minute ago, I think we're very clear that it is, in fact, an individual practice. Um, But if you look at what Paul says to the Ephesians and then to the Thessalonians, he is speaking about the congregation, God's people together, giving thanks, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God. That is the church. We are to give thanks to God for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In thinking about the matter of gratitude, it might be helpful to think about its opposite. Um, There's a a saying that I've been using lately uh, in my speaking and in my writing that contrast is the mother of clarity. When you see the opposite of something, it sort of clarifies what the thing is that you're looking at. Um, So the opposite of gratitude is ingratitude. I had considered as a text for this sermon, uh, Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their their foolish hearts were darkened. As I've said many times, the first step away from God is not raising your fists and saying, I'm mad at you. It's It's not saying thank you. It's not being grateful. There's a famous Swiss philosopher who is also an atheist, Alain, or Alain de Bouton. Um, and he wrote a book in 2006 called The Architecture of Happiness. But six years later, he published a book called Religion for Atheists. And he looks at some of the more interesting and consoling benefits of religion. That, okay, we're not religious because we're atheists, but 
there in fact are some benefits, there are some good things there. He suggests that rather than mocking religion, agnostics and atheists should instead steal from it because the world's religions are packed with good ideas on how we might live and arrange our societies. He looks to religion to gain insight for creating communities, strong relationships, and how we might overcome our feelings of envy and inadequacy. He writes about gratitude. I find this almost staggering at what he says. One of the differences between religious and secular lives is that in the former, one says thank you all the time when eating, when going to bed, waking up, etc. Why does the secular world tend not to say thank you? At the most obvious level, there seems to be no one to say thank you to. But more importantly, offering thanks for relatively minor aspects of life appears unambitious and undignified. The sort of things for which our ancestors bowed down, we pride ourselves on having done enough work to take for granted. Would we really need to pause for a moment of gratitude at the oily darkness of a handful of olives or at the fragrant mottled skin of a lemon? Are there not greater goals toward which we might be aiming? In our refusal, that is to give thanks, we are attempting to flee a sense of vulnerability. We do not say thank you for the sunset because we think there will be many more because we assume there, may, there must be more exciting things to look forward to. To feel grateful is to allow oneself to sense how much one is at the mercy of events. It is to accept that there may come a point when our extraordinary plans for ourselves have run aground. Our horizons have been narrowed and we have nothing more opulent to wonder at the sight of a bluebell or a clear evening sky. To say thank you for a glass of wine or a piece of cheese is a kind of preparation for death, for the modesty that our dying days will demand. That's why even in a secular life we should make space for some thank you, to no one in particular. A person who remembers to be grateful is more aware of the role of gifts and luck and so readier to meet with the tragedies that are awaiting us all down the road. I think it is a remarkable admission coming from a man who says there is no God. Dennis Hack, who was with Ransom Fellowship, uh, wrote, I do wonder why we Christians, at least in America, tend to be known for being negative in outlook rather than being thoughtfully, humbly, and unrelentingly grateful. So where do we start? How, the whole business of gratitude. A desire to express gratitude, one writer puts it, for the world, requires that we first sense that it is worthy of gratitude. Think for a moment of what ingratitude can do to our relationships, our communities, our families, to the workplace, to organization. If you wonder what the practice of ingratitude can do for a community, just consider what I read earlier from Deuteronomy chapter 1. We heard it from the Israelites. God hates us. That's why he brought us here. Oh yeah, he did all those amazing things. 
which apparently they'd not say thank you for. And so now they only see God as someone who wants to do them harm. Ingratitude focuses on the flaws, which there will always be flaws. Flaws in a community. We could say the same for relationships. No relationship is perfect. We might want something perfect and ideal. Um, but the reality is we are to be grateful in the midst of brokenness and of fallenness. On the other hand, if we practice gratitude, we are more likely to see the good in things, the beauty in everyday things, and in a real sense, be content, feel blessed, and eager to pronounce blessing on others. We're able to delight in the very existence of another human being. In a grateful community, individuals and their contributions are acknowledged and are honored. There's a regular testimony to God's goodness and his faithfulness, as we sang in the hymn today, Great is thy faithfulness. Expressions of gratitude make the community alive to the word, to the spirit, and to God's work. One writer put it this way, such a community, that is one that practices gratitude, is a beautiful land whose culture is grace and whose inhabitants see life as gift. In this land, we often find forgiveness and frequent celebrations. There was a community that was struggling. They were having problems within the community and they brought an advisor in to help them sort things out. He told them the truth is we can't stand the idea of not fixing each other. But insofar as we can fix people at all, we can only do it by forgiving them and giving them grace and leaving them to our loving Father. You see, when we more fully understand God's grace, we are able to turn outward with gratitude and generosity. Gratitude becomes our home in the presence of God. Henry Nouwen wrote that gratitude is the intimate participation in the divine life itself. What an amazing statement. It reaches out beyond our own self to God, to all creation, to people who gave us life, love, and care. So if where we begin is that creation is a gift and we are creatures and our very existence is a gift from God, if we recognize that we are dependent upon God, that our existence is contingent, if we are creatures who owe debts to others, we're not self-sustaining. We owe debts to others, both living and dead. Then I think we begin to get a sense that our disposition should be that of gratitude. And yet we tend to be a fairly ungrateful lot. We need to realize that gratitude is a disposition toward the world that reminds us we are not alone. We are not solitary creatures. That somehow we owe nothing to anyone. Gratitude is a recognition that I am dependent, which for us as Americans sounds almost unpatriotic. We are independent. We don't need anyone, and we are not grateful. 
Gratitude breaks us out of the prison of self-satisfaction and self-concern. But it's not simply a disposition. You need to have a grateful disposition. It is also the result of goodness. Unlike friendliness and generosity, which can exist, gratitude requires action. Requires action of another before it can come into being. Somebody does something for me and I am grateful in response. This raises a bunch of questions. Um, Are we morally obligated to be grateful? Is it a moral duty? Maybe let's put it negatively. Is ingratitude a moral failure? I find it interesting that Nietzsche thought that gratitude was a terrible burden. He wrote, the man who gives a great gift encounters no gratitude for the recipient simply by accepting it already has too much of a burden. If somebody gives you a, bur- gives you a gift, that's wonderful, but that's the burden that they've given you. And then if you have to be grateful in response, that's like a, a double burden. Indeed, gratitude would be a burden as if to highlight the weakness of the recipient. Oh, you're bigger than me, you're higher than me, you've given me this gift, and now I'm supposed to say thank you. Is gratitude a moral virtue? Aristotle spoke of the virtue of generosity, but not of gratitude. For Aristotle, the most virtuous man was the most self-sufficient man. And a self-sufficient man does not need to say thank you. He is good enough on his own. Gratitude is in fact the proper response to generosity, but it also is a sign of weakness and of need. And people don't want to be seen as weak, and so they don't want to say thank you. To whom do we owe gratitude? Well, this could be a sermon in itself, but let's just mention, first of all, we are to be grateful to God. We are to give thanks in everything Paul tells us. It's hard to imagine for us to be grateful in everything unless the object of that thanks was God. He is the author of our lives. He is the source of all goodness. And so to continually give thanks. Every breath we take is a gift from God. Do you want to stop breathing? No. And so with every breath, we can give thanks to the Creator who sustains us. Psalm 100 is a wonderful psalm. Listen. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generation. We owe gratitude to our parents. God is the ultimate giver of life. We owe our lives to our parents. Which goes, we can go a step further, we owe gratitude to our ancestors, those whom we have never met, those who came before us hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. 
When we are grateful to our parents, we also are to re- we should remember that they had parents and their parents had parents. We are in fact part of a long line of fathers and mothers who have passed on to us not only our physical traits, but our practices, our stories, our ways of living and dying. In other words, they, cre- they created the culture in which we live. And they give us a world that is specifically human. I think when we recognize this, we realize that the debt we owe to those who came before us is beyond repaying. Now comes the hard one. We are to be grateful to the state. Edmund Burke wrote that the state is a gift given to us for our benefits. It is the product of generations of accumulation and modifications. It's not perfect. I think we would agree with that. Change is surely possible and sometimes necessary. But in fact, we see that it is something God has given us for order and peace. We owe gratitude to the rest of creation. The beauty of creation surrounds us with unbought graces. I love that phrase, unbought graces. It provides us with that which is necessary for life. And ultimately it comes from the creator to us who are his creatures. So where do we begin this practice? I would argue that it is at the heart of worship. It is what we are to do when we gather on Sundays. There is to be gratitude in the community. So the psalm that I just read, Psalm 100, the community, the congregation is called to enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Not simply an individual. We are individually to be grateful. But as a congregation, as God's people, we are to remember his goodness, perhaps not in our lives specifically, but in the lives of others. There may be times when we gather to worship and things may not be going well but during the time for prayer somebody mentions something for which they are grateful and we can share in that gratitude sacrifice and gratitude are profoundly intertwined in communion not just our practice of it you remember what I read every Sunday what I read today before we had communion The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks. When we practice, when we have the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, this is our small expression of gratitude, joined with Jesus giving thanks himself. And in a few moments, we will leave and go out into the world And there we are to live as grateful people, those who are to give thanks in everything. When he wrote to the Colossians, people, by the way, he had never met, he said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Gratitude to God will lead to love for others. What does it mean to be grateful? Well, Alani read to us earlier, um, to live gratefully is not the same as denying the misery or evil around us. 
Gratitude involves knowing that we are held secure by a loving God and that the God we worship is trustworthy despite the nearly unbearable sorrow we might encounter along the way. A capacity to be thankful in the midst of hard times requires acknowledging that we do not know the whole story. Gratitude is a crucial way in which death and destruction do not have the final word and cannot finally define us. I would suggest to you that gratitude is most striking when it is lived out in difficult circumstances. But living when and where we do in this culture and in this society, gratitude is in fact belittled to a certain extent, or simply people are careless about it. To be grateful is almost countercultural. And I think as a result, we find it difficult to be grateful. We live in an age of entitlement in which a significant part of our economy is in fact called entitlements. This has serious consequences. As one writer has noted, no gift can bring joy to one who has a right to everything. I have the right to this. And so when somebody gives it to you, you don't say thank you. It's like, it's my right. I'm entitled to this. We live in relative security where we can assume that that's the way it will always be. We'll be able to live good, fulfilling, and adequate lives. And so we, we come to think, yeah, I should have a peaceful life. I am entitled to security. Trust me when I tell you this is not the way the majority of human beings have lived on this planet. Those before us have recognized that there is loss, that there are setbacks, that risk is a part of life. In our society, dissatisfaction as a way of life is encouraged in a consumerist culture. And it feeds the notion of entitlement. You are lacking this in your life. You should have this. If you have this, you will be happy. And as a result, we are not grateful. The church is to be a community of grace. A community of grace. But gratitude is that, that uncomfortable reminder that we need other people. That our lives are dependent on their gifts and generosity. But oftentimes we are not grateful. Our lives are so packed full of busyness and responsibilities. Gratitude and wonder are squeezed out. There's simply no room to notice what we have been given. And what we have been given doesn't seem like a gift. To find time to say thank you to God and to others often seems like, well, it's a little extra. It's sort of like icing on the cake not a vital component of our life. It is interesting that the Israelites should have known about being grateful. I don't know if you've read through the book of Leviticus. Oftentimes people get sort of bogged down after the first three or four chapters. But in chapter 7 we hear this. These are the regulations for the following, or for the, the fellowship offering a person may present to the Lord. 
if he offers it as an expression of thankfulness, then along with this thank offering, he is to offer cakes of bread made without yeast and mixed with oil, wafers made without yeast and spread with oil, and cakes of fine flour well kneaded and mixed with oil. Along with his fellowship offering of thanksgiving, he is to present an offering with cakes of bread made with yeast. He is to bring one of each kind as an offering, a contribution to the Lord. It belongs to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the fellowship offerings. The meat of his fellowship offering of thanksgiving must be eaten on the day it is offered. He must leave none of it until morning. So it's part of what God revealed to Moses, and Moses told the Israelites there is, in fact, the thanksgiving offering. And yet, they were not thankful. But as I said earlier, rather than condemning Israel or mocking people who said 2020 was the worst year ever, um, we should, in fact, act our, ask ourselves as individuals and as a congregation, are we grateful? In a book that I've been reading lately, I came across the following. Uh, John Roberts, who is the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, gave the commencement address at his son's graduation from middle school. It's quite impressive to have the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court speak at a middle school graduation. But this is a part of what he said. From time to time in the years to come, I hope you will be treated unfairly so that you will come to know the value of justice. I hope that you will suffer betrayal because that will teach you the importance of loyalty. Sorry to say, but I hope you will be lonely from time to time so that you don't take friends for granted. I wish you bad luck. Again, from time to time so that you will be conscious of the role of chance in life and understand that your success is not completely deserved, that the failure of others is not completely deserved either. And when you lose, as you will from time to time, I hope every now and then your opponent will gloat over your failure. It is a way for you to understand the importance of sportsmanship. I hope you'll be ignored so you know the importance of listening to others. And I hope you will have just enough pain to learn compassion. Whether I wish these things or not, they're going to happen. And whether you benefit from them or not will depend upon your ability to see the message and your misfortunes. The first time I heard this, I found it rather shocking. That's a, a lot to lay on ninth graders at their graduation. But I think if we could take to heart what he says, we could learn to be grateful in all things, to give thanks in all things, to be thankful in all things, because God has a purpose in it. To be lonely, I wish that from time to time you'd be lonely. Then we would come to recognize the wonder of friendship. And as we go through difficult times, we are to be grateful. And when we go through good times, we should be grateful as well and not simply say, oh, well, you know, I deserve this. This is, yeah, I had this coming. 
Above all, we need to acknowledge that we do not see the whole story. We are told that God is the creator and we are his creatures and that he loves us. And he proved that by sending his son. It doesn't mean an easy life. It doesn't mean a life without difficulties, without bumps. But we don't see the end of the story. We don't see the whole story. And so as God is gracious, it is the essence of the creator. We are creatures. We are to be grateful. We are to be thankful in all things. Let's pray together. Our Father, we begin by acknowledging that you are our God, the creator, and we are your creatures made in your image. You are gracious. We are to be grateful. But we freely confess that is far too often not the case. We want things to always be smooth. We want there always to be harmony. We do not want any difficulties in our lives. But the reality is, sad to say, if we had no difficulties, if everything went smoothly, we probably would not be thankful. We are, after all, ungrateful bipeds. We thank you for your grace and your love. May we, by your spirit, respond with gratitude, and not merely as individuals, certainly as that, but as a congregation. May we be thankful for one another, for what you are doing in each life, and what they add to our lives, and what by your grace we can add to theirs. This week in this country, we celebrate Thanksgiving. We have a special day for it. The reality is every moment of every day should be a time of Thanksgiving. We were told this morning that Zib's aunt, her aunt Donna, passed away. We pray for the family during this time of loss and of grief. But we also give thanks for her life, for what she brought into this world, for what she meant to her family. Holy Spirit, work in our lives. May we be people of gratitude, learning to recognize all that we have as gift. And may we be thankful in all things. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.